perfect in the Ron Hextall, Brian Burke era. Hello, this is Tom Reed. I'm joined with Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, and you are inside the 66 to 87 podcast live on DK Sports Radio. A uh, lot to talk about. Uh, we're obviously going to talk a lot about uh, the new management team that was introduced several days ago uh, with Hextall and with Brian Burke. Uh, but we also had some hockey last night. Uh, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, when it looked like they were going to suffer another kind of a gut punch loss to these Islanders in a game where they played pretty well, managed to come back. Evgeny Malkin did not pass the puck when it came to him. He fired a shot in off of uh, to beat Simeon Varlamov to send it to overtime and wasn't solved there. Into the shootout where Sidney Crosby got the winner and Casey DeSmith played a really good game all night, uh, stopped the final shot, and they come away with a 4-3 to three win. Just uh, first of all, guys, just some quick impressions of, of this game. Well, I mean, once again, the, the Penguins were incredibly resilient. Uh, you know, they've uh, won uh, six games this season now, only one of them in regulation. And, uh, you know, we, we still don't know if this is a team that, that knows how to play with a lead because they've so rarely had one yeah. uh, to this point of the season. But uh, the bottom line is that they do have a uh, a winning record at at six five and one, and you know that's uh, that does show some uh, some pretty good resilience on their part. They probably just wish they they haven't had to show that uh, so often. And they're doing it, Dave. Uh, we'll stay we'll stay with you for a second <laughs> with with special teams that aren't so you know they're they're rarely get power plays, and when they get them, they don't score. And they've given up some power play goals. Uh, and yet, like you said, they continue to find ways. But you have some numbers there I think you want to share with us of, over the last stretch of games here on, on special teams. Well, their, their power play is 0 for 20 in the, in the past seven games. Uh, their penalty kill has given up at least one goal in each of the past six games and at least one in 10 of the 12 games so far this season. I mean, both are, uh, you know, toward the bottom of the league rankings, not surprisingly, uh, given, given those numbers. And, you know, if, if you want to, uh, you know, kind of follow the uh, conventional wisdom that winning the special teams battle is, is a pretty important part of trying to win games, uh, you know, they're defying that logic on a regular basis. Yeah, Taylor, we we um, on our last podcast, we kind of we kind of set the table for this stretch of games coming up, and, and we said obviously they're going to just be kind of pinballing back and forth between the Islanders and the Capitals, uh, and we are going to have Samantha Pella on from the Washington Post in the third segment, and she'll be previewing these games against Washington. But I think these games against the Islanders are really important because I think the Penguins and the and and the Islanders are going to be battling it out for that third, fourth playoff spot and and to come out in a game tonight where again it looked like at the end it was going to be heartbreak even when Crosby wins the face off I think Rust hits the post and you're thinking ah that's the last best chance and they find a way they find a way with with Malkin scoring the the game tying goal and they and they end up winning 
What did you see tonight that impressed you? Yeah, I mean, Malkin stepping up. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. It was really good to see him uh, get that goal. And, I mean, he looked really good um, – you know, towards the end of the game, that that third period and then overtime, he had a he had a really good play early on in overtime where he broke up a, a scoring chance single handedly um, by the Islanders, and then uh, they they went on Bison. He had a pretty good chance on his own, so it was good to see that from him because we really haven't seen a lot from him uh, like like that, like Old Malkin. Um, and I mean, you need to see that in in these games. Uh, and like I mean, like you said, that these Islanders games, I mean, these are these are huge. I I think we're kind of on the same page where, you know, the top four teams are going to make the playoffs. I, for me, uh, I think, you know, the top three are probably going to be Boston, Philly and Washington. And then so yeah. in that last spot, probably I would have between, you know, the Penguins and the two New York teams. So, I mean, these are these are big. So to to win. Yeah, that's that, that could be you know the point that makes the difference at the end of this season. You know, these Barry Trotz teams, they're kind of like the boa constrictor of the division. Usually when they get a lead on you, uh, they can just squeeze the life out of a game. And I think a couple times, well, three times, right? Or three times tonight they came back and 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 tied the game, and obviously right at, at, the, at the end. Uh, Dave, I thought the line, I thought it was justice that, that Crosby ends up getting uh, the, the – what is what is called the game-winning goal in, in in the shootout, and then Rust gets a goal because I thought that line, the, the top line, was really good tonight. Yeah, it, it actually was, and I mean, for the record, the, what Crosby scored is called the shootout deciding goal. Oh, thank you. Thank he you. actually he actually does not get credit for a game winner, even though right. it, it, he, for that matter, he doesn't get credit for a goal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though it was the goal that won the game for the Penguins. And, yes, his, his line um, had a very good game, uh, as, as did the uh, Aston Reese-Bluger-Tanev uh, line. Uh, both of those were, you know, fairly effective uh, each time they went over the boards. Uh, Malkin was really I, – I thought he showed a couple things early in the game, but then he – became a non-factor for most of the evening until, you know, the very end of, of regulation, his line didn't do a whole lot. And, and the fourth line was, you know, certainly nothing special, but yeah, Crosby and his line mates had a, uh, had a pretty productive evening. Yeah. And again, winning that face off uh, to set up the goal. And that just, that looked like a classic Malkin goal there from, from above the circle, Right in there, boy. I, I I can't count how many times I've seen him score on on a play like that. Uh, uh, again, a really good comeback. But Taylor, talk a little bit about um, again. Zach Aston Reese gets back in the lineup uh, tonight. That line, I again, as Dave alluded to, I, I thought played well, and he gets rewarded. What did you see with with that 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 threesome? Yeah, I mean, there was a reason that they kept that line together. That was the most consistent line combination last season, Aston Reese, Bluger, Tanev. They're just so good together. I mean, last last year, you know, they were deployed in a primarily, well, it was almost entirely defensive role, but, you know, they still controlled the majority of the shot attempts uh, when they were on the ice. And that, if looking at the numbers, that was the same thing we saw in this game. I mean, they were most of their starts came in the defensive zone, but – 
um, in uh, shot attempt differential wise, they were the second best line. So even though they're starting most of the time in, in their own zone, um, they're getting most of the shot attempts when they're on the ice are coming in the Islander zone. So um, that's good to see. Not that surprising. But then, I mean, Aston Reese, what a game from him, the goal. And then he had five shots, which ties a career high from him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how you know, that goes. The offense is comes from him because he did say in practice that um because you know he had the shoulder surgery and he it, it wasn't like a recent injury like he he injured his shoulder his first season in the league and then he's just kind of been dealing with it this whole time um and it, it weakened over time and eventually you know made surgery necessary and he said you know when he had before the surgery it would make him maybe a little bit more wary of going into battles because you know he might pop his shoulder out um so it'll be interesting to see, like, with this confidence with having, like, a functioning shoulder, just what, what he can do and what that line can do. Taylor, you know the Penguins are under new management, and you're going to probably be getting a call from Brian Burke tomorrow about using all those analytical terms <laughs> and numbers out there. I'm just, just giving you a little fair warning. Yeah. Uh, another guy, again, we, we kind of alluded to it, but uh, the Penguins, and we're going to get a little bit more into this in the second segment, uh, they, they need some consistent goaltending and, you know, hard to draw many conclusions after one game or, or a game tonight. And uh, Casey DeSmith has had some moments this year. Dave, I thought he played really well. I, I mean, he, he, uh, he, he had some, made some really key saves, uh, kind of kept them going and, and certainly uh, held strong there in the shootout. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the shootout was uh, certainly his finest moments of the game. I, I thought he could have stopped uh, the first goal, the, the one that uh, John Marino's fingerprints were all over. <laughs> uh, bearing in mind, we don't have access to replays at uh, uh, the Coliseum. So you folks who watched on TV probably got a much better look at, at uh, those things than, than I did last night. Um, but you know, when, uh, you know, when the game was truly on the line in the shootout, uh, he came up big, the Islanders can send out some, some pretty skilled guys and, uh, the Smith turned aside three of them. I'll tell you one guy who was really happy at the end of this night and very happy with Malkin. And the fact that they ended up was coming out with a win was P.O. Joseph. And, and we have sung nothing but his praises, uh, so far this year. Uh, but it was a tough night for a couple of those young defensemen. You mentioned the Marino play on the on on that on that on that, on that goal. Uh, I think that was the Sezegas goal. Yes. Correct. Okay. And, and then you know at the end of the game, uh, late in the third period, and again you're talking about one of the one of the more skilled players in the league, in Matt Barzell. He comes down once, didn't have as much speed, but kind of used the same move and got around. Uh, PO and got a shot on and, and the Casey and uh, the Smith made the save wasn't as lucky on the second one. Is that Dave, is that kind of a, kind of a welcome to the NHL moment there for him finally in like a sixth or seventh game? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's uh, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, defensemen with more experience than PO Joseph have been burned by Matt Barzell. He's yeah. uh, he's awfully gifted. Um, you know, there's no, there's no shame in, in what happened there, but hopefully it's something that, uh, you know, Joseph will, will learn from, uh, the next time he faces, uh, Barzell. Um, 
and you know it, it's going to happen. Even even the finest defensemen uh, get beat occasionally. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it will do any uh, permanent damage to his confidence. Certainly, the positives of his play, oh. you know, this season far outweigh <laughs> uh, negatives. Even even those uh, as, as glaring as that particular one. Yeah, how dare he finally make a mistake? Uh, but I thought, you know, Taylor, I thought it was it was something. Now it was obviously late in the game, but there are coaches out there, no names, please, that when a young kid like that gets undressed the way he <laughs> did, the, he might not see the ice again. He, you know, they, just late in the game. And credit to Mike Sullivan, he he ran him out there a couple more times. He he was as as Dave said, it's a game of mistakes. Sometimes they happen. And Po finished the game, had a couple other shifts, and seemed to seemed to bounce back pretty well. Yeah, if we're uh, if I you're referring to what I think you're referring to, I think Po is the last player who would mouth off to an assistant coach. So I don't think you're going <laughs> to see him benched. But um, yeah, I, I I'm that goal doesn't doesn't worry me. I mean, Latang kind of left him in a tough spot too. Po really should add his stick down. Um, but again, it's it's Barzal. It's not it's. That, like you said, that's that happens to and like guys yeah. with more experience. So it, it it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. All right, all right. Coming up in our second segment, we're going to go with our roundtable. We'll uh, discuss some different things going on with this team, and we'll certainly really dig in to the management change. Stick with us here on the sixty six to eighty seven podcast on DK Sports Radio. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. We're here in our second segment on DK Sports Radio. In a little bit, we will be be joined by Samantha Pell of the Washington Post, and she'll help us preview another big two-game set with the Washington Capitals starting on Sunday afternoon. But right now, we we need to kind of delve into the big news, of course, of the week. Uh, The Penguins have their structure uh, with Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. And with Hextall being the GM, uh, if you look at his track record in Los Angeles with Dean Lombardi and then running this show in L.A., everyone talks about those guys built for the future. They, they, and the Kings were built out over a four- or five-year stretch. Uh, before he got let go in Philadelphia, that was the same model that Ron Hextall was building. But here, of course... Uh, ownership has been very strong about wanting to try to win right now with a cupboard that's kind of kind of bare. No, well, not kind of bare. It is bare, and there are very few assets. So I put this to both of you, and Dave, we'll start with you because I know you you really pushed to get Hextall. What can he do right now to help this team continue the longest streak in North America as far as making the playoffs at 14 in a row? Well, I, I don't think you'll see him do anything until he's able to assess exactly what he has uh, since both he and Brian Burke are, are coming in from outside the organization. I, I don't think they'll want to make any moves, you know, in, until they get, uh, you know, firsthand impressions of, of their personnel and of, of what needs they might have. And as you alluded, uh, it's going to be difficult for 
tech stall to make any high impact moves simply because the, the penguins have so few, uh, you know, assets uh, that would uh, have a high value on the trade market. You know, their, their first round draft pick for uh, the, you know, the coming draft is, is already gone. Uh, you know, they, there aren't many uh, good young players in, in the pipeline. You know, they're, you know, the, uh, they're, they're reaching the point where they're, you know, they're paying for the, uh, for being in win now mode for the past decade and a half. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen exactly uh, what he will be able to do uh, once he's determined what the, what the Penguins primary needs are. Taylor, jump in there. Can you, can you, can you see them making any tweaks we, you know, we're going to, on this show, we're going to talk a lot about prospects and, you know, is there any, we, we, we you know, we saw people, the, 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 the tweaking and bringing in P.O. Joseph and he's been terrific. Is there anybody else that can help him if it's just little tweaks like that? Or how, how can you see this lineup being helped out to make sure that they make it to the playoffs for a 15th straight year? Yeah. I mean, if, if they are going to make a move, they like like Dave said, they really don't have very many assets that they can move out. I think PO does though create a trade ship, not himself, but um, you know one of the other left-handed defensemen. Now that's obviously a little bit hard in like the the near future because uh, like Pedersen and I'm talking about du- uh, Dumlin and Pedersen. Pedersen's not quite ready to play yet. Dumlin's still hurt, but I mean when all of those guys are healthy, I mean you'd think one of them would have to be moved out, right? So I mean that. That there's uh, a trade ship there. I would have said McCann, but McCann is now week to week. Um, still, so no idea when he's going to be back. But I mean, they they do have some assets on the NHL roster that they could maybe move out. I don't know what really they would command uh, as far as a return. But um, yeah, I mean, prospects and picks. There's really a, not a whole lot that it would make sense to move, and and that you know they would they could get something back for. And what Taylor says about uh, moving a, a left-handed defenseman, you know, is perfectly logical. And they do seem to have a, uh, you know, a surplus of NHL caliber guys there. Uh, the one obvious caveat, though, is, you know, that they're all hurt, which suggests that, you know, they have to be prepared for the possibility, uh, you know, of, of needing replacements again at some point in the future, even if they do manage to get everybody back healthy for for a period of time. So, you know, there will be a uh, an element of, of risk involved because if they do deal from that uh, bounty of left defensemen that they have, you know, there's really nobody in Wilkes-Barre that they could call upon who they could be confident would uh, be able to consistently perform at an NHL level. Yeah, with the left-handed defenseman, I mean, what, it's Churchman, and we've seen, I think we've seen enough of Churchman at this point. Um, he was great in Wilkes-Barre, but he's really struggled these couple games he's played. And then, I mean, the, the next guy up as far as lefty defenseman in Wilkes-Barre would be Cam Lee, but Cam Lee, I, I would not put him, I, I would not give him that that chance yet, um, just because he's a he's an offensive defenseman, and with offensive defensemen, there's that, that risk-reward that they have to kind of learn how to balance, and um, I think that could be like you know exploited more at at the NHL level. So Cam Lee needs to be developing in Wilkesbury. They can't rush him up yet. So beyond who is currently on the roster, um, the, not really any other options. I mean, Rico is a lefty, but uh, he is also hurt. So 
and how much you know how much value would he have on the market he's a largely unproven uh, commodity at this point i like him i think he can be a uh, you know a regular contributor at this level but when you're talking about uh, possible trade there's not much of a track record to point to to uh, elevate his value on the market okay all right you know obviously the the, the surprise of this week wasn't as much uh, Ron Hextall, I think uh, he was on everybody's short list. And, and, and as David mentioned, he was kind of his leader in the clubhouse. But the surprise was the add-on with Brian Burke. And we, I'm sure we've all made our phone calls around the league on different questions. And, and what I keep hearing was, is uh, there's a lot of, they like both guys. They like, they like uh, the, the patience and some of the stuff that, that uh, Ron Hextall has brought. Uh you know, Brian Burke has won, won a Stanley Cup, has worked on a lot of different franchises and a lot of different capacities. But one guy is a very kind of patient, methodical guy, and that's not Brian Burke. So <laughs> how is this how is this going to work, Dave? Um, I think a lot of people are wanting to know exactly what what is Burke doing? Is he going to be helping make decisions, or is he going to kind of be the, that go-between, that liaison that, that, that kind of shields his general manager a little bit from ownership. What exactly is he doing? Well, we, we really don't know yet. Uh, you know, that, that question was put to someone, I believe uh, David Morehouse, uh, at the introductory conference call earlier this week. And it wasn't really spelled out. And it was either Hextall or Burke said that uh, – Essentially, I, you know, I, I, he will take some things off my plate and I will take some things off his. So it sounds like, uh, you know, their, their duties aren't going to be very narrowly defined, uh, that there will be some, you know, give and take and, and uh, you know, what uh, in, in terms of the duties that they handle. At the very least, uh, Brian Burke gives the Penguins another set of eyes uh, to assess uh, the personnel, and not only on their team, but uh, ar around the league. And uh, he certainly is an interesting uh, partner, for lack of a better term, uh, for Hextall to have, because uh, as you've noted, their management styles uh, don't necessarily run parallel. <laughs> Taylor, are you all about getting some truculence in here, some pugnacity and truculence? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the the hiring of a president of hockey operations, I don't think is very surprising just because um, the, the hockey ops staff is very bare bones. Um, so, I mean, they needed to have someone I, maybe in that kind of role. But, I mean, Brian Burke is um, just very surprising to me. One of the dinosaurs of the game, <laughs> you could say. Um, and it, it sounded weird. Um, Morehouse spoke about, you know, the process and it sounded like, you know, they were going to Burke first for like advice in the hiring process. And then he then they turned to him and like hired him, too, which is kind of that sounds like the plot of the wedding planner to me with like Jennifer <laughs> Lopez as Brian Burke and the Penguins or Matthew McConaughey. Like they were going to him for help, but then they fell in love with him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just don't know how how he's going to help them move, move forward. I, I, that remains to be seen. Um, we talked about it on, on Java, how like he's, you know, very opposed to like analytics and analytics, obviously not all like the end all be all, but it's just more information and the game is moving 
towards stuff like that. And Brian Burke is kind of um, not that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about how I feel about the Burke hiring. I love I, I love I love Brian Burke. He he can fill up a notebook. But you're right. He, he, it's a it is a different world. Someday when we'll, we'll we'll on story time here on the 66 to 87 podcast, I'll share a few of my Brian Burke stories. They're not many, but they were memorable. All right, let's get to one last topic here. And and it, it uh, Dave wrote about it today. I hope you always read Insider. That's one of the first things you should read every Friday morning. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's gotten to the point where now it's almost an open secret uh, that at some point uh, the Penguins may make a play for Chris Pryor, who right now is a scout for the Nashville Predators. Uh, he worked very closely uh, with Ron Hextall in Philadelphia. Served for a while as his assistant general manager. Uh, I've talked to people that have just used the phrase joined at the hip. That's how well they work together, that, 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 that he trusts Pryor so much. It, it just would, it would stun people that if he were not to be brought in on at some capacity, maybe at the end of the season, I don't, when I don't know when their contract is up in Nashville or, or how they would bring him in. Dave, what have you heard? Well, pretty much the same thing that, uh, it, it's not a given or not a question of whether uh, Hextall will, you know, try to bring him in, but, but when he tries to bring him in that, uh, you know, a, unless Nashville would somehow block the move uh, that it's pretty much guaranteed to happen. And it would be highly unusual uh, for a team to not allow uh, an individual in the, in this case, somebody serving as a scout uh, to take a promotion, you know, with, with another franchise. So I think, I think it's safe to say at this point that uh, the surprise uh, would be if they didn't hire Chris Pryor at some point, not uh, if they would get him. Taylor, what do you think about this? I'm sure, you, you know, you're always doing your research, uh, checking with people, beating the bushes, as they say. What what have you learned about him, and do you think a, a reunion with Chris Pryor would make sense for Hextall and, and the Penguins? Yeah, I mean, I don't know much uh, other than what's already out there, but I mean, what, he was at the Flyers in, in various capacities for, uh, like, what, 20 years? Um, he was with the Islanders before that. Uh, this past season was his first with the, with the Predators. I mean, so he, he's been around a long time, and um under Hex saw the flyer they he rebuilt the flyers so well they were so good at drafting and developing and and prior was the you know the director of scouting um for the start of that and then you know transitioned into the assistant gm director of player personnel so he was a big part of that rebuilding the flyers and i mean the penguins are obviously going to go through a rebuild here at some point um it would it would help just to have as many people um with experience doing that around uh and Prior, prior would be that Hextall is that, so um, I, it, it couldn't hurt. Excellent. All right. Well, that's, that's it for segment two. Uh, when we return, we will have Samantha Pell from the Washington Post to preview the upcoming Capital Series. You are listening to DK Radio Sports, and this is the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast.
Welcome back to our third segment of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. And we are delighted to be joined uh, from the Washington Post, Samantha Pell. Samantha, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. What about you guys? Doing Great. Th- thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Uh, the Capitals are 12, 13 games into this, this uh, condensed season. And uh, obviously one of the big storylines here is the new coach, uh, Peter Laviolette, uh, how are th- how is that transition going to this point? Yeah, you know, it's going good so far. I think Laviolette's talked a lot about building trust with players and guys and how you build that trust with a player like an Alex Ovechkin or a Nicholas Backstrom who's been around the league for such a long time. And I think it's been going well. Obviously, it's a new system. Um, they're playing more kind of fast-paced, a lot more physical. Uh, the defense is being used way more often uh, than in the past. So, I think it's going well so far. Obviously, they're on a three-game skid right now, so we'll see where things pick up Sunday against Pittsburgh. But so far, so good for at least the chemistry and trust factors there. Uh, you know, the, there's the the old there's the old saying in sports: uh, you don't want to be the man that follows the man. And in some ways, that was Todd Reardon's uh, kind of having to, to to step in to be the head coach. Now, granted, you're 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 stepping in to take over these Stanley Cup champions. But at a time where Barry Trotz had won the title and left, when you look back at it, what do you what 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 went wrong there, or what did not happen enough for him to continue on as coach? Yeah, it was. I don't know. I guess it seemed like a really interesting couple of years for him. You know, you're totally right. Like taking over for a cup winning team, he has to step in. Obviously, he's been with this group for such a long time. He, you know, talked a lot about you know being a coach for John Carlson, Matt Niskanen, you know, those guys for such a long time. And he has to step in and all of a sudden be head coach. And I think there was a lot of pressure there, right? Um, you still have guys like Alex Ovechkin who still have some of their prime years left. And he's kind of tasked with going back to back, as TJ Oshie called it, or even, you know, winning another in three years. Um, so I think for him, there was a lot of pressure there. I think the team obviously didn't have a ton of turnover when you look at it. I mean, all the veteran guys are still there. The experienced group is still there. So realistically, you know, everyone saw those two years under Todd as still being a championship window for the Capitals. and. They just couldn't get it done. They flamed out in the first round both seasons. And then, you know, the Capitals just decided this year, you know what? Okay, enough is enough, basically. Two years, uh, we need another coach to come in and really spark something in our guys. And I think they went out and got a Laviolette because they felt like they have the experience under his belt. He's already, you know, been to a Stanley Cup. He's won a cup. Um, He's already had that experience. And so if he could come in and spark anything from these guys, I think, they just needed to go external for this hire. And they just felt like if they stuck with Todd or someone else in the system, it might still be the same, you know, years as it has in the past. Yeah. And then this Sunday, uh, one of the big storylines on, on the Capitals side is uh, Kuznetsov and Samsonov. It sounds like they're going to come back. What can you tell us about just what they went through with, with the whole COVID uh, situation and just how they've looked in practice? Yeah. So for them, you know, Ilya, he tested positive January 19th. It kind of sparked the whole COVID protocols train for the Capitals, sending four Russians into quarantine, um, something you never want to see, obviously, from a group. And so you're right, they came back to practice on Monday. They spent 18 days off the ice, which for any player is ridiculous. Um, But for them, you know, the beginning of a season, they really hadn't got their legs under them yet. Um, So yeah, it seemed like Kuznetsov might have played Tuesday night against the Flyers if that game was not postponed, but we'll never know, I guess. Um, but it looks like he's set to play Sunday against the Penguins. It seems like Samsonov might need more time in that aspect. Obviously, being a goaltender, it uh, just seems like he needs more reps. Uh, he needs more ice time. So overall, we'll see how things go. But I know they both had COVID symptoms when they were in quarantine. 
Sam's not said he had trouble walking and breathing at one point. Um, so, yeah. it, it, I mean, it was really serious for both of them. They both had really bad days. And I think people tend to forget that um, they weren't just sitting around for, you know, two and a half weeks. They had some really, really bad sick days. Yeah. And then what Vitek Vanacek, he's, it's not like he's been doing pretty well, uh, especially for guy, what he came in this season expecting probably the third bully under, under Lundqvist. But yeah, what, what can you tell us about Vanacek and how he's really stepped up? Yeah, I think Vanacek's been the biggest surprise for this Capitals team so far. I mean, he's a rookie goaltender. He spent five years in the minors just kind of waiting around. Obviously, the Capitals always had, you know, that Braden Holpe kind of rock with them. So they never really had an open space for Vanacek to come in. Um, Ilya Samsonov is drafted a year after him. He's kind of heralded as, the, you know, the big time prospect, the first rounder. He kind of jumps Vanacek in the Capitals depth chart in terms of goalies and you know, Sam Snob ends up on the COVID list early. Henrik Lundqvist can't join the team because of his heart condition. And all of a sudden there's a spot for Vanacek and he goes ahead and he kind of grabs it. And I think, you know, he was the rookie of the month in January for the Capitals or I guess for the whole league, um, Capitals too. But I think overall, a lot of people have been super impressed with him and just his kind of poise in net. I think maybe, I think he had nine straight starts, eight or nine straight starts. So we might be getting to a point now that maybe you kind of see that wear and tear. Maybe you see that from a younger guy who hasn't had this many reps ever before. I mean, he's only been in the AHL really. Um, So we're going to see how it goes the rest of the season. But as of right now, I think Capitals were super impressed with him. And um, yeah, we'll see how things go on Sunday. Uh, Samantha, the other big addition to this club this year, besides Peter Laviolette, and I'm not sure which one is older, uh, was Dano Chara. And, yeah. I mean, he's appeared in all the games. He's getting a lot of ice time. Uh, I know he just did not want to kind of be phased out in Boston, and that's what it kind of looked like was going to happen there. How has he played? Yeah, you know, he's played pretty well up to this point. I think – I don't want to say it was shocking um, that Chara's playing so well because it's Chara. Um, but, I mean, you know, he's been on the top pairing with John Carlson for the last three games. Obviously, Laviolette trusts him a lot in situations where the Capitals are down or they're trying to protect a lead. He's always on the ice. Um, he's being used on the second unit power play, obviously being used on the PK. So I think for him, he's averaging like 20 plus minutes, um, which I think in Boston, that was never the plan for him this year. So I'm sure that role is kind of elevated here in Washington. But I think so far, so good. Obviously, we've seen some of those defensive lapses. Um, very clear, just, you know, kind of just mistakes, just turnovers that he's done. But I think for what he brings to this room, the respect that all the players have for him, the little advice and conversation he has with guys to try to improve their game. Um, I think the Capitals are super excited that this worked out and for the minimum contract that he was given. Yeah. And a couple other uh, new additions that, you know, Penguins fans are familiar with, what Sprung, Sherry, Schultz, Haglund was already there. But I mean, uh, those new guys, how, how have they... Uh, Really fit. I mean, Sprung for really the first time he's a regular in the NHL. Uh, I think something's a little bit surprising based on how he looked here. But uh, yeah, how have those guys looked? Yeah, you know, I guess we can start with Sprung. Yeah, I think you know when Sprung was acquired by the Capitals, I think everyone kind of thought that he would be the 12th forward head into this season. Then they go ahead and sign Connor Sherry, and now it's okay. It's probably Sherry over Sprung, and they kind of have a duel out for the 12th forward spot and then obviously all the COVID stuff and the injuries and they both end up playing and, you know, as regulars in this Capitals lineup. And, you know, I think Sprong, I think you guys in Pittsburgh obviously know, like obviously a very dynamic shot goal scorer. Um, maybe not, ha- maybe he doesn't have a complete ice game yet. Um, I think he's more offensive maybe than defensive. Um, so I think <laughs> that's mainly what we've seen here in Washington. Obviously he can, you know, ha- 
he can score rockets. I mean, he can just definitely score. Um, but I think overall, uh, maybe probably still finding his place in this league. Um, I think Connor Sherry is probably a good surprise for Caps fans, <laughs> scoring two goals, um, I think, a week or two ago. And then, you know, I think Justin Schultz, honestly, was the most consistent player for the Capitals before he, you know, got hurt. Uh, he took a puck to the face. I think it was January 28th against the Islanders, and he hasn't been in a game since. But I think the Capitals really felt like he kind of evened out their D pairs. They felt really calm with him out there on the ice. I mean, he was a really good pair with Chara. So I think Schultz is probably one of the X factors for this team, honestly. Yeah, Sprung, I just think back to his first exit interview, like uh, clean out a day in Wilkes-Barre, and he was asked about, like, you know, did you make strides in your defensive game this season? And he said, I'm never going to be the 200-foot player that people want. <laughs> so um, not surprising, I guess. <laughs> That's still how he's kind of playing. Uh, Sherry, though, um, it was kind of like a running joke when he was here both times that he could never stay on his feet. Um, he was always being knocked down. Just how, how I guess this is skating. Like, is he at least staying on his feet like this time? You know, he is staying on his feet this time. There we go. Um, you know, yeah, he had his, I think he had his, his first kid this past weekend. Um, he also got a knee injury. So I think there's a lot of things for him. Um, I know he was playing really well. He thought before his kind of knee injury that took him out for a game. So, you know, he's staying on his feet. He's, you know, he's scoring. He's kind of contributing offensively. I don't know if he's going to, you know, still be a regular in this lineup once everyone is back for the Capitals and they're all healthy again. I think, again, we're kind of back to the situation of, OK, is it a Daniel Sprong or a Connor Sherry there as your 12th forward? So we'll see how it goes moving on. But the Caps really haven't had a full lineup since the beginning of the season. So we'll see where everyone slots in on Sunday. Yeah, so he's coming into the game with a dad's strength, so you can yes. just pencil him in for a goal, at least yeah, one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Samantha, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, obviously, these two teams have met really early in the season, the Penguins, with a couple of come-from-behind wins. You had mentioned earlier about the you know adopting to a new system, and I'm wondering how is the – the man-on-man marking going because that that is a difference uh, that is that is one of the differences this in this with Laviolette how has that gone and are guys are, are guys picking it up or where where are they in that transition yeah you know I think guys are picking it up I think I know it's kind of hard right because Laviolette always says okay well guys are still adjusting we're not finding our game 100% I haven't seen a complete game out of my team yet we can't play 60 whole minutes yet um, so I think it, they are still all a work in progress. I think, honestly, this little break for the Capitals where they had three games postponed, while obviously everyone wants to be playing games, it's kind of a blessing in disguise for them. I mean, they really haven't had a lot of practice days. They haven't had a lot of time to just, like, be together on the ice and actually work through systems. Um, so I think this week before they played Pittsburgh is going to be really important for them. You know, they were on the ice on, God, Wednesday. It was basically just a competition compete day. It was a lot of, you know, disguised conditioning of you know battles in the corner or one-on-one drills or two-on-two or three-three so I think overall they're still trying to learn the system and still get everything down pat but I think the steps are going well for the Capitals even though they've lost three games (laughs) straight all right very good two big games coming up with the Capitals I believe on Sunday the uh, the Prime time, three o'clock game, right? Yeah. Sunday at the three o'clock on NBC, and then they they come back on Tuesday. Uh, same two teams. Uh, Samantha Pell from the Washington Post. Thank you so much for spending some time for with us, and that will do it uh, for this edition of the sixty six to eighty seven podcast here on DK Sports Radio.